Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Belgian Football Podcast, episode 33. My name is Ben Jackson and as always I'll be your host and once again I'm joined by our Belgian football expert Scott and Joris. Scott and Joris, how are you guys doing? I'm good and I'm really pleased to be back guys and I know that our Joris must be good because his team are in the cup final. Yes, we made it. So yes, of course, I'm in a happy mood and also I'm also a bit anxious and excited since we're trying a new thing. I hope the listeners will be able to hear it, hear it in the audio. It should sound a little more professional and better generally. Yeah, we're getting there guys, we're getting there. Slowly but surely we are improving hopefully every single week so yeah this episode there's not actually as much football to talk about in terms of like ma- amount of matches but yeah what we did have was definitely uh entertaining and exciting so we'll start off just going through the fixtures and kind of the results that took place this weekend club Brugge obviously played twice once on friday once on uh, monday night Friday night saw them draw 1-1 with Charleroi and then Monday night saw them beat Ghent 4-0. Then we had the cup semi-finals as Scott's already alluded to. Uh, In the first semi-finals Standard Liège overcame Erpen 1-0 and yet as we talked about in the second semi-final Genk overcame Anderlecht 2-1. We also had some Pro League B action which is kind of where we're going to focus a little bit of this week's kind of podcast on. Seems that we had like a full slate of games there and some big events happened i'm sure everyone knows what i'm talking about but yeah in uh, 1b uh, denza beat lies 3-0 union saint played rwdm molenbeek we'll get to that game in a bit lommel against Vesselo, we'll get to that game in a bit as well and sarang beat club next uh, in the last game of the weekend scott let's get over straight to you because i know you want to talk about the big game that took place this weekend yeah my game of the week is Union Saint-Gerois 2, Molenbeek 1. So we're off to Brussels for the big 1B Championship winner. As everyone will know by now, uh, the game finished 2-1 to Union and not only are they now champions of 1B, but they're they're back at the top table of Belgian football. They're back in Pro League 1A for the first time since 19... 19- 73 which is which is incredible 48 years away and kind of back in the big time now I suppose just kind of turning to the game itself for a minute which was kind of pretty unremarkable in lots of ways I think the only thing really to maybe mention about it in retrospect is there was a moment in the second half when Union were 2-1 up and Molenbeek appeared to equalise but the goal was actually chopped off for offside and I don't actually think it was offside. So ironically, if that had been a, a, a 1A clash, then VAR would have had a look at that and almost certainly awarded that goal. But it didn't happen and it didn't affect the outcome. Union getting themselves over the line and just just a, a really special and historic moment for, for Belgian football more generally. Denis Sundav and uh, Francois scoring Union's goals. And there was just, I don't know, there was a, a general feeling for me that it was just a really special moment. I mean, it's special when any side wins a title um, in any division, but there was, there was something about this side and... And um, I think their place in Belgian football more widely, um, a restoration, if you like, that's probably the right word. Um, and I really enjoyed kind of watching the, the, the title winning celebrations after the game, actually. There was a really nice moment when the, the playing staff 
and the backroom team were dancing away on the eastern terracing on the eastern side of um, Stad Yusuf Marian. And people who know the ground will know that the eastern side of the stadium is is entirely open terracing without a roof. And uh, the team and, and sport and science staff, backroom staff, were dancing away up there. And I thought that was so apt, actually, especially in light of the fact that fans can't get in at the moment. There was something really, really special about that image, I thought, that captured not only the feel of that stadium, but just kind of the the whole season really and, and, and what that means to that that team I think and, and the city. I'm really pleased for Phyllis Mazu as well because you know the union coach is a very head coach is a very likable character and I think to to achieve something like that is um always a special thing to have in your C V and, and he had a he had a very successful sort of six year spell at Charleroi as well before having a very disappointing time at, at, at Genk. Um, so to go to Union, which is always going to be a bit of a risk dropping down a division and then kind of powering through that league, just just a special moment for everybody involved, I think. And I think we're going to really enjoy having them back next season, having one of the, the great tradition clubs back in the top division. And another thing I really enjoyed seeing was just that kind of outpouring of, of warmth towards them as well. The messages that came pouring in from other clubs to welcome them back and to share their felicitations was just really nice to see, especially one from Anderlecht as well, their great rivals dropping a message on social media, which I thought was a a really classy touch as well and I really enjoyed watching that kind of drip feed through on Saturday evening and into Sunday as well um, the club got a visit from from Mechelen as well, who dropped off some flowers and champagne, which was a nice touch too. I do have to just ask though, what is the one B trophy all about? For those who didn't see it, it was um, a nice block of wood, and then on top of the block of wood is this kind of weird perspex version of the Pro League's logo, which looks like it's just kind of awkwardly glued on the top. So. I'm not adverse to a nice piece of wood in my mantelpiece, absolutely. But um, can we have an actual trophy next year, guys? Yeah, that. <laughs> I don't know where to start with that thing. Like, it was just bizarre, wasn't it? Like when you looked at it, it looks like I don't. It looks like one of those things that they give out to people for like player of the month or like manager of the month, just kind of like a half-ass sponsors trophy that's just yeah. like dished out to anyone and they'll just be like okay cheers yeah i'll just i'll just stick this in like a cupboard somewhere never look at it again like quite a bizarre looking thing definitely check it out if you haven't yeah i don't even know where to go from there (laughs) like you've just just even thinking about it i think what i kind of like like kind of going back a little bit into if you haven't or don't know about union central and like there's definitely there's so much being written about them there's great articles that you can like kind of look at their history and like what happened to them but i think kind of when you look at their stadium it kind of like tells the story, doesn't it? Because it looks like it's stuck in time, like such a throwback to like an older era of football and stuff. And that's what they are like in terms of their success in Belgium. It is a throwback to a, like a kind of like pre-war era and around then where they were like really, really successful. And it is just nice to see a big club come back and like rise through the ranks. And the way they've got promoted as well has just been, they have by far been the best team in 1B. Like there's no doubt about that. It's not like they've had to scrape by anyone. They have pretty much done everything right in terms of against the competition they've got great players up like their strike force is absolutely lethal in a Vanzia and Undav obviously they're lucky that they are backed quite financially quite well uh, by Tony Bloom the Brighton owner as well so they kind of are set up well I guess 
it was kind of like it was inevitable at some point the way they were being like run and stuff that they would get back. Joris, as a, a resident Belgian, what's your kind of take on the promotion? Oh, I just wanted to point out a stat about the game. What what would an episode be without my stats, even though there's not much to go through? It's quite funny, actually, that despite Union really dominating the league, the first goal was uh, came from an assist, which was the first assist of the season for Jordanov. And the first goal for Francois this season. So that's even though they've been scoring goals throughout and uh, having a good defense as well. Yeah, still a fun fact that that actually it were a few firsts in that game uh, that in the end uh, decided their promotion. Yeah, Union, of course, it's um, I'm not sure if you can say a sleeping giant, like a fallen giant. For sure. So it's good that they that they've come back now. I think indeed many people in and outside country have been sim- sympathetic with them since just because of their history, obviously. And the the Dudenpark indeed has some name. The point you made there, Joris, about kind of this getting attention outside of Belgium and within the wider football community is a really important one because it's so unusual. Uh, I think something like that, that the the, the the warmth that I was kind of talking about is not something you you see in football. So there's definitely a sense that there, there's something special around what happened there at the weekend. I think, and it, it does have a lot to do with the sort of. Um, mythical legendary status around uh, Union's story. And we'll talk a lot more about them, particularly in pre-season, obviously, before the, the new season kicks off as well. And, and a lot of people are going to ask us probably how they're going to do. And I, I expect them to do OK. Um, I suppose the real work, in a way, kind of starts now because the big objective was to get promotion. And now that that's been achieved, they now have to look beyond that to other things. You know, those who know the club a little bit will know that, you know... <laughs> I'm going to throw this out there, you know, amongst football fans. A lot of people would like them not to change the stadium because of the romanticism involved. And I don't think it is going to change in the short term, but obviously longer term, they're going to have to think about a new stadium because there's not a lot that can be done with that site because the the West Stand, the old West Stand actually is a listed building. So there is an issue as to whether that site is redevelopable in any way at all. And also they don't have their own training centre as well. They, they use shared training facilities, which... Uh, longer term is going to be a problem as well but it's, it's great to have them back and it's great to see such outside interest in Belgian football as well I mean I've people who follow our social media will know that I've been speaking to a couple of journalists recently who've been writing pieces about Union um, and it just really I've had a lot of fun doing that because I've been aware that this moment was kind of coming it was a it was a, a when rather than if moment very much so it's just it's just nice to see the eyes of the outside footballing world kind of turn on Belgium and hopefully that 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 will become more of a feature now. Go on, plug them more specifically. Uh, the articles you uh, you worked on. Yeah, we shared it recently on our, our social media for those that have already seen it. If you haven't seen it, um, we, we'll certainly re- reshare it. I spoke to uh, James Kelly uh, from Copper 90 magazine, which is uh, a, an online football magazine that has kind of quite a wide pool. And James wrote a piece on Union and kind of their place in Belgian football and history and kind of sort of significance of this moment. And lots of other people have been kind of picking up these articles now. And th- there is a, a kind of a, I suppose, Ben's referred to it in the past as a kind of football hipster kind of vibe to 
to Union and they, they attract the interest of a wide range of, of kind of football and people, different reasons. And a lot of this to do is with that slightly retro feel, isn't it, guys, of of the stadium. But if you delve much deeper into the, the history of the club itself, there, 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 there is a lot there to uncover and a lot of hidden history, a lot of it important. And, and you know, we're really hopeful that we'll be able to do a, a special episode on Union sooner rather than later as well. In fact, we, we've got something coming up quite soon that we can't say too much about at the moment and which Union will probably feature in in those discussions as well. And we'll be able to tell you a little bit more about that recording soon. But there's so much interest. And, you know, if you're interested in Belgian football, Union are a fantastic kind of gateway club, if you like, to, to, to discover, I think. Absolutely. And yeah, definitely looking forward to that special episode i think as well like you talk about them as a, like a, like like yeah i did call them like a hipster club in that sense and yeah i think they're kind of like an, a football manager favorite as well they're one of those teams that people like to manage and football manager because there's the nostalgic feel about them and i think obviously people listening to this will probably know and have heard the kind of stuff coming out about the Bene Liga and Union Sense of the War as a story for me is a complete juxtaposition to what we're hearing about about the Bene Liga like there's the whole ethos and story around it is just completely different. And it's just such a, I don't know, it's just that side of football is so different to what this Benaliga sort of side is as well, which we're going to talk about. Like, I'm fully ready to talk about this, but not yet. Yours, I don't know if you've got one more thing to say or if we want to jump straight to Scott's player of the week. Not really. So yeah, moving on, Scott, who's your, was your player of the week from this game or did you go back back into the Pro League A? Well, I've gone back into the Pro League uh, Pro League A for my player of the week. And this one might be a little bit controversial, actually, because this week I've gone for somebody who only actually played 20 minutes. Yes, I know, I know. You can you can, you can can get in touch with us and say, is that really allowed? Um, because I'm not sure myself if it is. But yeah, I went for Club Bruges' 19-year-old Venezuelan striker, uh, Danny Perez. He scored his first Pro League goal this week in the 4-0 route of Ghent. Fantastic header really really clinical beautiful goal actually I just I kind of I was thinking about this and I, I kind of had to go with him because I felt that not only were getting his first goal but there was a sense after I'd seen his post-match interview that I think I think he's going to be a really big player for Bruges he speaks very well in English he did his interview in English and there was kind of a confidence to the interview and there's an energy about him and there's something about how quickly he's been brought into the, the senior squad fold. I think the expectation when he signed in January and he came to Belgium um, from Venezuela was that he would probably spend the rest of the season with the club next squad and then maybe pre-season join the senior squad ahead of next season. But because of circumstances, as we all know, the, the coronavirus hit, Bruges squad just before their Europa League game against uh, Dynamo Kiev. So he, he was brought into the senior squad a little bit earlier than I think anyone really expected and started to get a bit of game time. And he's been getting, what, I think he's made four appearances now, I think, one goal in three games. And he's been getting between 20 minutes and half an hour in those games, which is really, really encouraging. And I think my feeling about it is that um, Bruges see him as the kind of long-term heir to Baz Dost. Uh, Dost has probably got maybe another season at the top level. And I think during next season, Perez will get even more game time regularly as well. So I think he has a really bright future ahead of him. And I don't know, it's just a gut instinct thing, I think, having hear him speak and the little I've seen of him so far now, 
Um, and the progress he's made in a short space of time just tells me that um, this kid's going to be big, folks. Put the English would completely agree with you. Uh, they cover all the Venezuelan stuff and they kind of alerted us to this transfer. When it happened, they were like, definitely watch out for this guy. Like They've been really excited about him and you can kind of see why. I think the one thing I would say is what, like the fact that he is getting this game time. I know, like, yeah, they've they were winning, and like he comes on at the end and stuff like that. But that cl- shows that clearly uh, Clement trusts him, put him into this game, and it's not going to be like he's not going to be lost. He's not going to be out of place. We're not kind of ruining his development because you can do that with a player if you put them in too soon, too early when they're young. You're not their confidence, and then they kind of it does take a while for them to recover. But that doesn't seem to be an issue with him. His first game in the second tier, he scored, what, within like three minutes or something like that? He's now got his uh, Pro League A goal. Yeah, I think Daniel Perez is definitely a name that we're going to hear a lot more about. I think we're going to, unfortunately, I think we'll start hearing the rumours of linking him to random teams all over the place um, very soon, which just seemed to be the way. But I think, yeah, he's in a good team in terms of where to develop. Like, Baz Doss has been around. He's done a lot of, played for a lot of teams, played in a lot of countries. He's actually... I'd, yeah, I don't know what he's like as a person in that sense, but I'm sure in terms of looking up to someone and learning the trades, Baz Doss is quite a good player to learn from. So it's a good like place to develop. And the fact that, yeah, he's getting in, like he came on the other day because they weren't impressed with how Badgie was playing after a couple of minutes, even though he scored. And they were like, okay, we're going to put Perez on instead. Like that's a level of trust from a manager that is quite impressive to have as a 19-year-old kid. I, I just wanted to say that Scott tackled my thing uh, head, head on in the beginning, of course. I was like, really? 20 minutes? You took a guy that, that played 20 minutes in a game that was already <laughs> decided? But, well, actually, if you see the bigger picture, as you guys um, have, have elaborated on, yeah, okay, I, I do get that pick, especially since there's not that many choices. But, yeah, well, he's in a good position. Yeah, I think you guys said it uh, all, all already. He's getting more game time than uh, than he expected, than everyone expected there, I guess. So yeah, and and yeah, his English is good. Um, good help is adaptation, probably. I was just going to say, I don't know if you guys saw his post match interview, but there's a really interesting bit towards the end of it where he, he kind of he was talking about learning off Baz Dost, which is is you know great great experience to to learn from there. And there's lots of different elements to Dost's game. He, his all round game is pretty good. So you know, from a young striker's perspective, I, I I can see why you know learning from somebody like Baz Dost and being around him and in that senior squad training environment every day with somebody like that, you know, is really really important but there's a bit right at the end that kind of really caught my attention and it's when he deliberately brought up Belgian football more generally and kind of spoke for a minute about the physical side of the game and the tactical strength of football in Belgium and how he felt that he'd made the right choice and that the the environment, the, the footballing environment in terms of its style in Belgium was, was ideal for him to learn more of a, a, a European game, if you like. So I think that kind of almost vindicates the, the choice of move that he made as well. So I think he's he comes across very well and he clearly reads the game well too, um, which is a big a, a big part in my, my reasoning and choosing him as player of the week. And yeah, I, I do think he's he's destined for, for, for big things. Yeah, no, we're definitely excited about Daniel Perez here. I'm going to slightly cheat and I'm going to take two games of the week. There weren't many games, so I feel like, yeah, I can do that. 
and it's fine. First one, I'm going to take the cup semi-final. Joris, I'm sure we'll talk, you can talk more about the Genk game, but I'll just take the first one, which was Erpen against Standard Liège. And yeah, I actually, like watching this game, I've looked at the stats now, but when I was watching the game, I thought Erpen were the better side, especially in the first half, actually. I thought they were, they just looked the more dangerous and the more kind of cohesive and fluent, I guess, is kind of what I'm trying to say. But in the end, Selim Amala, I think, Joris, you said it, he just seems to score goals out of nothing. And they're usually pretty decent goals as well. And this was another fantastic, fantastic strike from him. Like, oh, yeah, you got to go watch it. It's fa- absolutely brilliant. Game out of nothing. Yeah, and, that's his, yeah, I think that's his trademark, isn't it, at the moment? And I mean, it's not a bad one to have, like being a match winner in that sense. But yeah, so... In the end, open, they had the chances, but they just couldn't take them. And it was Standard Liège who get through to the final. And I think that's, for Mbaye that's massive. I think that's a really good thing that he can put on his CV at the end of the season that says, look, this is what I've achieved. I've got us to a cup final. Yet, yeah, it's not going as well in the league. They may miss out on like, yeah, they're, they're probably going to miss out on the top four. I don't think they're consistent enough to get there. But at least he can be like, yeah, we got to the cup final. And who knows in a cup final, like, anything could happen. The second game I wanted to pick up on was back in 1B. So obviously we had the big game with Union Saint-Gilois against Molenbeek. But outside of that, like we kind of knew USG are going up. Like it was, yeah, I think Scott, you said it earlier. It was a matter of when, not if. Elsewhere, in the terms of the second place playoff promotion spot, we are less clear, I guess. And there was a massive game between Lommel and Vestalo that took place on Sunday, the afternoon kickoff. And yeah, I watched a bit of this game and I thought Vestalo were the better side. I thought they played a better style of football. I thought Lommel went direct quite a bit and a bit too often for my liking. Because I was just trying to kind of gauge like where's the quality out of these two sides like if they made the playoff what would they how would they fare against like arguably a better side in 1a yeah from what i watched the wrestler with the better side but in the end it's lommel who came out with the win and i think it was one of those classic if you don't take your chances like vesselo didn't you're going to get punished and marlos moreno's got a fantastic goal in the 84th minute to kind of yeah really keep lommel in the hunt for that second place uh, as i mentioned earlier Serang won against club next which it was a bit squeaky because they only won 1-0 against a team that everyone's been beating, but they're on 42 points. Lommel are now third. They're five points behind Salang. Everyone's played the same amount of games. And then Vesselo are fourth with 36 points. So in a way, the big winners out of the Lommel-Vesselo game was Sarang because Vesselo would have been right on their heels, only three points behind them if they'd made managed to win the game. So yeah, that's why I went for my player of the week. I went for Antoine Bernier of Sarang, who scored the winning goal in that game. It's a fantastic strike. And I think I just went for him because I was like, they had quite a few chances against club next and they just weren't being able to find the back of the net. They just couldn't find the finishes that they were looking for. Like they only had four shots on target from their 14 shots overall. And he was the one player that made the difference. Like, like with Selim Amala, like difference makers on the day, that's what you need, especially when you're pushing top of the league, pushing for these promotion playoff spaces and you're against the team at the bottom of the league that you're expecting to beat comfortably. So yeah, I went for Antoine Bernier, fantastic goal, match winning goal, keeps Sarang ahead in that second place hunt. Joris, why don't you give us a roundup of kind of the other kind little games that we had well first i want to come back to the standard well to standard in general actually in their cup run we might dive in later on in a special episode the way they've got into the final it's actually quite ridiculous because they could have gotten out easily in every round that they have played but they managed to go through which makes me kind of scared for the final because often then when you (laughs) squeeze into the final then yeah, you might end up winning it even. Um, what else? Yeah, of course, uh, 
a few weeks ago, we said that Anderlecht supporters should pay me when um, Yazga would score. And well, yeah, it, it's a bit childish of me. But uh, yeah, he did score finally. But you don't have to pay me because, well, obviously things didn't go the way anyone expected. He didn't have the best of games uh, anyway to unfortunately neg- in a, put him in a negative spotlight a bit for once. He's been decent throughout the season. But uh, now this game was not his best. A bit... Uh, so Henk won 1-2 uh, and at the fr- with the first goal he lost track of Onuachu or didn't intercept, intercept the ball he should have done one of these things uh, not end up where he was now in no, ra- no man's land and yeah obviously scored an own goal then for the second uh, one for Henk and then well maybe most striking was actually like as the more experienced player at the back when Henk were down to 10 men and in- and um, Anderlecht needed to score just one goal to, to make it uh, 2-2 and go to prolongations. The few times that Henk came out in the last few minutes he made some silly um fouls that were just not necessary and of course made it possible to win some time for Hink. Of course usually I'm not a fan of meeting time but Hink did it well this time and I'm I'm all for once and in a, in a cup um, setup and in the setup of being a man down I I understand and I'm very happy that they did that. Uh, Anderlecht and Hink played four times in the cup now and four times Hink won or proceeded to the next round. The the final is going to be Genk against Standard, which is a repetition of the final in 2018, which uh, is the only final Genk so far have lost. So um, yeah, I hope I hope the team can take revenge for that. Also a very frustrating game to watch in a very cold evening. But okay, I'll, I won't dwell too much on that anymore. The game against Charleroi is the, was the end of Clubris. The winning streak is, is also notable. I'm not going to go on a big rant, but VAR was like wrong or should have interceded or do anything during, I think, each and every one of these games. There were only four, I guess, now with that had VAR. And then apparently in 1B, as uh, as Scott said, there was also a, a phase there where if there would have been a VAR, maybe they should have done something. But yeah, they've just not done that. Like yesterday, Gent probably should have gotten at least one penalty. Then in Charleroi, Club itself did deserve the penalty for sure. Charleroi, maybe. Personally, I don't think so. But at least it could have been something to look at. In the cup fire semi-final between Eupen and Standard, there was a potential Eupen penalty that at least should have been checked. I'm not sure if, it, if they did, and I don't think so. In the cup semi-final with Genk uh, and Anderlecht, Rosowski did, did have a handball. I, you you can at least look at it. I'm, it's one of these handballs which in, in, you would not say it is one, but with the rules that are in place now, yeah, you can definitely give that. And I've, I've seen them being given for less this season. I have to be honest about that one. Just like there have been so many things in so few games. It's in the end, yeah, okay, I wasn't going to go deep into it, but here I am. Um, I'm giving the rant. It's like, VAR, what the hell is happening? <laughs> Do your job. Joris is, uh, <laughs> is pressing his big yeah. red controversy button, isn't he, guys? <laughs> I didn't want to do it because we had such talk about yes last week already, but <sighs> it keeps coming up. It just keeps coming up, doesn't it? And like, yeah, the one, the one yesterday or Monday night, yeah, was like Sobol pushes De Potra into Minule, who mm. then pulls De Potra down afterwards. 
and it's like okay like i can see basically i saw you could see what the decision they were going to make like from a mile away when they were checking on var if they did check i, I wasn't like listening to the commentary but they were just going to be like oh look before minilay pulls the pocha back down Depotcha fouls Minule without looking at actually Sobol pushes Minule and uh, pushes Depotcha in the back, who then falls into Minule. So the only reason that Depotcha fouls Minule is because Sobol pushes him. Like those ones really wind me up. As a striker, I know it's kind of like I've got a biased opinion, but when defenders just like push you into someone and then you get given the foul against you, you're like, well, hang on, like I didn't do that. The person that pushed me did the defender. That's actually it's a foul. Like in the box pushing the back like that's a penalty in my mind don't think it would have made a difference even though I did think to be fair to Ghent I feel like they did cause Bruce some trouble in that like especially in the first half and Yelemchuk had such a good chance to open the scoring he didn't take it and it's just classic isn't it like if you don't take your chances give Club Bruja half time to kind of reset and regather and then they'll just come out and put four past you and that's it yeah. that's the game but I think that's a problem that Ghent have had that problem all season haven't they guys where they've had sort of decent spells in games where they've been well on top and they have been creating chances but they haven't taken any of them that Yavnchuk was was miss was pretty wild actually considering where he was he's right in the center of the six yard box and you know mo- most people blindfolded when they got that on target i couldn't believe that one i was really and just while we're on this game i was really impressed by philippe clement's coaching approach to this because obviously they went in at half time and he recognized early look this isn't working here and he made the big calls really really early some coaches might make one change maybe two if they were feeling on the brave side but he made three changes at half time which completely changed that game, I thought. And Bruges were, well, 3-0 up within an 11-minute spell within, uh, I think, overall an 18- or 19-minute spell at the start of the second half, which is unbelievable, actually. Really, really clinical and emphatic stuff. I was really impressed by that. Big coaching, big coaching. So the second potential penalty, which is actually even more clear to me, was uh, Densville making the foul. It was also still at nil-nil. So that's always a thing. Like, you'd never know. You can say, like, you didn't make a difference. I'm not going to go deep into that, but most likely it wouldn't have. But, like, you just just never know at that time, of course. But apart from that, so, yeah, that that was the other phase. I just also have to get it off my chest. There, the goalkeepers also didn't have the best of weekends, especially Bolat. These <laughs> first two goals, I don't want to take too much away from them because the finish was really good from Dost uh, in the, at the first one and actually the second one from the Ketlaya as well. But at the first one, Bolat is so so far. He just invites him to, to give that little dink. And yeah, Dost executed that very nicely. And... The Ketlare shot, well, it was hard, but it was in his, yeah, in the corner that he should have. He should have covered and didn't happen. That what that was that, and that happened also, unfortunately, with uh, Van der Voort in the cup in the semi-final. Um, he also mm-hmm. didn't cover his yeah, I, I don't know what he did. He did something wrong with his wall yeah. placement and anticipation. Yeah, just I'm sure he won't do it any, anymore. Yeah, he'll have will have learned this lesson, but yeah, the wall placement was uh, horrific there. I think it's yeah, difficult for goalkeepers, so, isn't it, guys? It was just because um, because of the nature of their position as well. They, they're they're so much more open to criticism because any mistake or or slight mistake is 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 an issue of some kind. And honestly, I haven't been contacted by the goalkeepers' union. I promise. But <laughs> yeah, I was just yeah, thinking yeah. about <laughs> when we were chatting about this over the weekend that um, yeah, that the goalkeepers often get get the blame for things that aren't necessarily sort of 
um, them at fault with. I don't. I don't really disagree actually with what Yoris is saying. Actually, I think all those criticisms, both about Bola and and, and Van der Voort are, are 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 totally valid. But it just kind of flagged up to me that sometimes goalkeepers are well, they're just so much more exposed, obviously, aren't they? Yeah. No, definitely. I think with the Van der Voort one, when I saw it initially, I was like, oh, that's taken a deflection. I was like, that's that's got to have taken a deflection or like the ball swerved or something because it just didn't look right. And it looked like he just anticipated. And then, and like, let's face it, he's 19 years old. Like he's bound to make mistakes in that. But I mean, he's been pretty decent apart from that, hasn't he? Like Yoris, you'll obviously have a different, no, well, not a different opinion, but you'll have a more educated opinion than I will. But yeah, it just seemed a bit like out of character for him to make such a strange decision. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, um, I was happy to see, and I, I agree with that. I should also highlight that um, he was actually chosen as a man of the match uh, as well through the media. So they're sparing him for it now. And, uh, well, just he made such an incredible save at, the, at an El Hatch yeah. strike, which it's like, I still don't know how he got that still. Um, of course, he got the chance. El Hatch should put that away, but it was not a bad uh, finish at all. And, how we got that that was really good and he he has his calmness around him and he gives it seems like he's um, actually a, li- a little bit stabilizing the defense with not screaming away all the time like a Vukovic does let's move on we've got actually got quite a lot of news to go through and yeah I'm conscious that yeah we should probably get on to that 1b changes folks these potential 1B changes have been rumoured. I'm going to just say I've got a biased opinion. I think it's a terrible idea the way I've seen it reported at the moment. It would basically add, I think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, seven or eight of the second teams from teams in 1A. So I'm pretty sure it'll be like Anderlecht's second team. Just listed them off the top of my head. Standard second team, Antwerp's, I can't remember Antwerp's second team, Genk's second team, Ghent's second team into 1B. Yeah, so obviously this year we've had Club Next in 1B and that's gone really, really well because they've been super competitive and won <laughs> loads of games and really pushed every other team and it's been a complete like success. So they thought, let's just add all of them in. Let's just chuck a load more of these teams in. Yeah, I think it's a terrible idea. I think, I, I guess, again, I've got a slight bias. I've like We've seen it boomed in England, I think. If it had ever come in in England, it would have been terrible as well. I've seen it in Germany where you had Bayern's second team winning the third league, but obviously they couldn't get promoted. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like they take the place of another team whose fans could enjoy watching their club play at a slightly higher level than they are at the moment. And there's stories there and there's interest there and it's quite enjoyable to watch. Whereas, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be interested in watching two second teams battle it out on 1B. I'm not going to go too much ranting into this. I'll let you guys have your say as well, but... Yeah, it, obviously this hasn't been confirmed yet. They're still going to vote on it. It's like, yeah, this is just a speculation. But yeah, putting my neck on the line and saying I think it's a terrible idea. I don't think, I mean, playing devil's advocate with it, which I think we probably should, I think it, it's not all bad in that I think from the perspective of players and coaches, maybe also from scouts and data analysts, I would imagine they are mostly in favour of it. If you think of, of, if you're a player, for example, the opportunity to play regularly at a, a slightly more competitive level than you would normally, if this doesn't come about, allows you to, um, yeah, allows you to develop, allows your fitness to develop as well. And they're, they're good things. And it's the same from a coaching perspective as well. Scouts and data analysts are going to enjoy, if this comes off, going to see young players developing at a, a, a vaguely competitive level. Let's, let, let's call it that, um, to be generous at the moment as well. 
and I think because of that, that that regular competition on some level as well, it means that the opportunity for those players to then potentially get a move to another side where they might go straight into the senior team or even to other countries is, is probably greater as a result of something like this coming about than if it doesn't happen. So there are benefits, but I think it very much depends on who you are. I mean, Ben's point about this doesn't increase the general quality of the product or the competitiveness of the league. It just doesn't. It just makes it bigger. But if you are involved in it, you know, if you're a coach or a player, then it probably does does have some positives for you. But there's certainly very little positives from a fan's point of view or or for a football and products point of view. And for a country like Belgium, which has famously got one of the most convoluted footballing structures anywhere, um, this is just going to take that sort of, you know, convoluted approach to things to, to you know, yeah, a pretty extreme level. Yeah, it's just, I'm with Ben with this one in general. I'm not completely opposed to the idea of this, uh, actually quite in favor of uh, using these second teams, but not at that level. Just let them start a few divisions lower and make their way up if they deserve it. Okay, one point, like maybe it's unfair to to really blame the experiment with Club Next uh, because of course the, that was just decided a few weeks before starting. And anyway, such projects, I guess you... If you implement it, you should give it some more, um, a few seasons time to see how things go. But just at that level, I'd f- and also the way it, it, it's been going as well. So first clip next that, that they are already in there without anyone else having that advantage. That's already the thing we we we, all, we already spoke about a few times. Then a few more teams wanted, and then a few more teams wanted, and then now we're at this situation. But they're also using it then as a bargaining tool for making the smaller teams in in one A to to get their votes, like the, to get the eight, to have the eighteen teams instead of sixteen one season longer and so on so it's, it's such a belgian thing again uh, just the decision on itself is already yeah, oh, no just yeah, the, yeah, it's all... like the politics and like all yeah. of that and i think i guess yeah I, I i completely get what you're saying scott about like who the the benefit like the people that benefit from this are scouts coaches players and all that but i guess my other kind of like when i look at it i'm like okay so we're adding another eight teams lots of those teams are just going to play against each other why don't you just stick them in a reserves league like, why don't you just have them in that? They'll play against each other in yeah. there. They they can develop there. Like, if they're good enough, they'll move up. If they're too good for that, they can go on loan to 1B. Or like Yoris said, like, you start them in the lower tiers and you cap them off at a certain level where they can't go higher than. Because I think, yeah, I think at the end of the day, like, I want to see... All, I like I just like seeing new teams pop up. I like seeing all these other teams jumping into that sort of second tier and be like, okay, like, who's there now, like, story-wise and stuff like that. I think, yeah, I guess I'm kind of coming at it with, like, a fan's perspective and, like, a neutral's perspective as well. One of the things that complicates it as well is the situation with Verton. We still don't know whether Verton are going to win. Well, the Pro League have an appeal to try and stop Verton being reinstated, but Verton, a side that, that went by the wayside for various reasons, reformed and won a legal case to, to be reinstated. We're yet to find out whether they're going to win that case to be reinstated. Um, a judge has said, yes, they must be reinstated, but the Pro League are kind of contesting that at the moment. So Verton may be one 
of the sides that kind of come into this mix. But I think you're right, Ben. I think there are there are amateur sides who who win their leagues, who because they win the league in theory should be being promoted to one B and are being held back because of the licensing conditions. And that's very frustrating because it removes it removes an element of competition from football, which kind of begs the question: almost what's the point as well, isn't it? Thing is, of course, this season there were no amateur leagues to, so yeah, there is no yeah. one there. So yeah. I guess if it if yeah I, it's also just again every team is for is, is getting trying to get the favors for himself and not thinking about the the common goal the common product the common cause whatever you want to call it just yeah then of course now the bigger teams they they do want to push for that because now indeed there is this small vacuum because there is anyway no one else getting into bond b bar Virton maybe and another thing about the politics to get back to that like of course there might also be some issues then uh, with the pro league which is then the organizer of 1a and 1b and the, and the amateur league being yeah different organizations so then to put the uh, development squads of pro league teams in there like the whole situation there that might also be another mess but probably not the biggest yeah. issue but there's just so many <laughs> politics going on and like <sighs> <laughs> yeah i think that sums it up really i think yeah so yeah we'll, we'll kind of leave it there yeah let's let's move on i think one just what so one quick thing if Verton win that appeal and come back in it kind of solves a little bit of a situation in that you just take club next out and chuck them in like ideally in like a logical sense but that's probably not the way it's going to run but yeah we'll keep you updated as and when these things happen uh let's quickly go through some under 21 uh, european championship selections uh we don't have the belgium one yet i believe unless it's come out while we're recording but it's worse they just didn't qualify <laughs> even worse sorry i didn't even know that that is horrendous yeah Anyway, <laughs> Noah Lang, he obviously gets called up by the Netherlands. Nemecha and Dorsch from Ghent, they're going, Dorsch obviously from Ghent, not Nemecha. Uh, they were playing for Germany. And then Toma from Genk, uh, we're playing for Switzerland. So congratulations to those guys. Also, massive congratulations to Jack Hendry. Uh, he got a Scotland call up. We spoke about it a few weeks ago. Scott, I'm obviously going to hand over to you on this. You were a bit unsure about whether it would happen, but it has happened and safe to say it's well deserved isn't it absolutely well deserved i mean i yeah i i didn't think this was this was coming at all uh, for various reasons so it has been has been a surprise and i think it was probably a surprise to jack as well actually when when that news came through but absolutely well deserved he's been having a, a fantastically consistent season and it's so nice to see to see a young player like that um rightly rewarded because often this happens with young players who consistently perform quite well and for whatever reason sometimes it's personal sometimes it's a a political thing they they, they aren't rewarded when they when they should be so it was it was really nice to see that news kind of coming through today and for him personally as well this is interesting because this will further raise his stock and he's in a situation at the moment where his loan at Ustend is coming to an end fairly soon he'll have to come back to his parent club Celtic and there'll be dis- some discussions there about whether he stays at Celtic and obviously there's an issue there with them waiting to appoint a new head coach and that will be a factor in what happens with Jack longer term as well but yeah just a a great moment for him personally and, and really well deserved really good news I guess the best thing Celtic could do is just hire um, Blessing and then you've got Blessing and Jack Hendry Jack Hendry clearly loves playing for Blessing Celtic get a great young up and coming manager and everyone's happy so yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that will happen <laughs> 
Right, apologies to everyone. We're going to have another little rant. More to do with kind of things that have been reported in the media and the news today around the Benaliga. So this is about combining Belgian Pro League with the Eredivisie. It has... I've seen people say it. I've seen some like clickbait things being saying that basically it's been decided that this is going to happen. That is not the case. The clubs have voted to further explore the possibilities of the kind of joint league happening, which wouldn't actually be able to take place anywhere until, until 2025 because of the TV deals and stuff like that. So contrary to what you've seen, a Benaliga is not definitely happening. Like the clubs have not completely decided that this is definitely happening. We have to do this like, and it's going to happen next year. Like they've decided to explore it because there's so many like questions around this sort of thing. Like who gets in, how does promotion relegation work? How do the European places work? Like you can't just combine the Dutch and the Belgian European places and stick them all in one league because that'd just be a bit ridiculous. I see lots of people excited, lots of people unhappy. Also, another kind of factor is like the Belgian sides can decide that they want this. They can be like, yeah, we definitely want to do this. But <laughs> all it takes is the teams in the Eredivisie to turn around and be like, no, nah, we're not interested. And then the kind of idea has been like kind of shut down there. So I think it. Would, I'm kind I'm yeah, a bit wound up by the kind of reporting around this i think people haven't really looked into what has actually been said i think it's going to generate a lot of hype and interest in it without people actually thinking about what it actually entails i've also read some articles there's a really good article on the football pink who we actually did a podcast with on standard the yeah check out their article on it where they talk about how this could be an avenue to the super league that if uefa allowed like a combining of two leagues is this then going to start kind of like the dominoes will start falling and eventually end up with a Super League. So there's loads of connotations around this thing. But yeah, we just kind of wanted to put it out into our podcast that this hasn't been decided yet. They are. This is not a definite thing. They're just exploring the opportunities. Um, yeah, what was your guys' kind of reaction to that kind of clickbait breaking news coming out? Even though it is, I guess there is some news behind it. There's some like stuff behind it, but it's not what is being reported. I'll go first before Scott will unleash. <laughs> but um, yeah, the... Just to come back to the to football pink's um, assessment, well, it's actually if the Bayern Liga would come there, it's actually as an anticipation for the Super League and not the other way around. That's uh, just the one thing I also want to put there. I'm not a I'm I'm not a fan of the Bayern Liga as well, but especially yeah, nobody's waiting for it really. <laughs> Except, yeah, the few big teams, uh, including Henk, unfortunately, have uh, Henk Lebrugge, Anderlecht, I think, well, all of the big teams in Belgium uh, are in favor because they would increase their financials with it. <sighs> yeah, okay, just yeah. It, so ju- it would just be a financial thing, and like I don't think that's what, what needs to be done here. That's like what I've read, it's just about finances. And I also read that there'd be 18 teams and only eight from Belgium would make that cut from what i read obviously that's not definite but that's kind of what was rumored and it's like well like if you're gonna do it at least split it half and half like what's the point otherwise um it just seems a bit unfair and like tilted towards one side they'd also like they're interviewing some dutch like i think it's, it's talking to fans like what do fans want at the end of the day like i feel like fans are just being pushed and marginalized within football so much like that's what the super league does it literally marginalizes fans this again like i don't know like there's just yeah, you may create some rivalries with different teams and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the biggest games for the Belgian sides will be like Anderlecht against Standards, 
Club Rouge against Antwerp, like these like bigger games that we're like more interested in. Scott, what are your kind of thoughts? I think I think the news that came out today was just so badly reported. That was my initial response to it. I mean, you know, the, the, you always used the phrase kind of clickbait, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, Ben's summary was was really really succinct. Actually, nothing at all has been decided today, other than an, an agreement in principle by the pro leagues board that they're going to explore this further. But that's what they should be doing. That's their job to kind of look at the ins and outs of this and the implications for everybody so they're really just agreeing to kind of do their job in a way so there there was no vote taken for it to happen today and that's important to kind of separate those two things I think on a practical level I think there's been a couple of feasibility studies done in this and the fan consultations that were done as part of that came out quite strongly from both a Belgian and a Dutch perspective against this Um, and you can understand why it's not attractive I think for a fan to, to have to travel further and spend more money and and things like that which are just you know yeah marginalizing fans further and asking more of them financially as Ben was saying I think the structure of it I think is probably going to be one of the reasons why this will never go anywhere there's no way that half the teams are going to vote for one half of the league to get richer at the expense of the others it's 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 just a it's a marketing tool that, that that sounds quite good, but I think there are too many practical impediments to this, far, far too many. And even if it was to happen, anything close to it, we, we're talking, I mean, f- further than sort of four or five years, much further away. There was a there was an idea that was that was mooted uh, quite recently that had been going on for a, a number of years um, that was referred unofficially as the, the Atlantic League. And this was something that was being driven forward by some other big clubs in Europe. Celtic's now ex-chief executive or soon-to-be ex-chief executive Peter Lawwell was driving this forward with Edwin van der Sar at Ajax the Atlantic League idea and the idea behind that was that sides that would have been considered elite clubs in the past and who uh, were having to play a silly amount as for example Champions League qualifiers you know could could play regularly in a European league against other sides of a similar level so you know Celtic and Rangers and Ajax and Feyenoord and PSV and sort of Bronby and Bruges and Anderlecht and Benfica and Sporting you know clubs of of a really big size with a real history and heritage would play in a in a separate European league they'd proposed actually that they succeed succeed from their own domestic leagues and that be the league they play in and that was the issue there because UEFA went well you can't leave your own league because we don't like the idea and we don't want you to and that's another big reason why I don't think this will ever come to fruition to be honest because I think as Joris was saying this is going to open the floodgates to other things which a lot of people um, and a lot of people with a lot of money uh, have a vested interest in this ultimately not happening. Final thing that I want to say, I, despite everything, like I have to nuance a bit, it is probably still the furthest that they've gone on with these uh, talks about the Beneliga. So it's it's not as far as people have been reporting it, but it's still the furthest that it has gone. That well, which is still far away from it happening, though. No, definitely. I think I always just if you if you kind of say. That thing I heard about the top eight teams. Um, if you took the top eight teams from this year, Ghent don't make it, Standard Liège don't make it, Chalois don't make it. Like there's teams that you think would 
have come out in favor of it this wouldn't make it because they haven't been good enough this year and you just know that if it was the case and this did happen like they wouldn't include east end would they like despite the season they've had this year like you just need to give like that's what the beauty of football is there's like you have teams like east end you have teams like Leuven, like beershaw who just come up out of nowhere and just push up against the top of t- top teams in the league and stuff like that so i think yeah there's so much you have to sort out you have to sort out the second tier as well like in my mind you'd have to have a joint second tier and then below that you'd have to then maybe regionalize it a little bit more but if you're gonna do it there's just so many steps to do it with i saw someone say maybe they should just experiment with a cup competition between all the clubs like stick all the the top teams in a cup competition and like play that and like i mean if they're desperate to do something i think i could i could enjoy a cup competition between belgian and dutch teams but just seems a little bit pointless like what are we getting at here yeah i think this is where the uh, europa conference league the new conference Mm -hmm. league comes into play as well because i think that 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 was a kind of small sticking plaster that was uh, put together to to try and delay things like this and the atlantic league idea that i was talking about it's a way of involving more teams at a higher level as well not only within their own country but out with and maintaining fans interest i think it's an attempt to do that and i think to a certain extent it will achieve achieve that and maybe just maybe looking at the bigger picture that that's probably a better compromise for everybody that might actually work rather than something which is far more far-reaching and fundamental uh, for everybody that that doesn't doesn't suit anybody actually then again i feel like the conference league is just a sweetener for three years and then we will have that super league yeah that's that's the other side to it isn't it that, that it's it's yeah it's the it's the battering ram to to, to something else yeah. Yeah. Like part of me I'm kind of looking forward to this conference league, like in a vacuum, if you ignore the yeah, like what Yoris said about the sweetener and then all that, like about having kind of more even like European fixtures and stuff like that. But then yeah, I feel like yeah, we obviously can't talk about the Super League too much, but if they want to do that, they can go off and do that and the rest of us can enjoy football um without having to deal with their nonsense of stupid they can play each other every week and like teams like Man United can get relegated from the Super League or never just they're all it's just, yeah. Ugh, okay, let's move on. I can't. I can't even fathom an well, argument about that thing. I also. I also agree. Like the, the conference league on itself, despite like people are picturing it as a horror competition as well. Way too much, in my opinion. But we'll get to that hopefully at uh, another episode. I, I personally also look forward to it um, in a vacuum. Yeah, I just think I think it could be quite an enjoyable and like. I've enjoyed the games that we've watched this season where we've seen like we've come up against some teams and we've had we've got to do our special episodes with guests from teams that like just don't get as much recognition you don't see that often and yeah I quite enjoy that let's move on let's, let's talk about another depressing topic which is COVID I'll just quickly run through this but St. Trude I think it's around 13 confirmed cases now game will not be postponed against Vaz and Beveren until they've had like the updated test on Thursday so we'll just have to wait and see on that but that's not looking good Shalawa as well they've come out and said I think it's six players and a couple of staff members tested positive which may actually explain the kind of weird performances we've seen from Shalawa over the last week or so like really just lacking in any sort of energy and like performance so maybe part part and parcel of what's been happening there let's move on to this weekend's fixtures before we wrap up and realize it's been quite a long episode but we've had quite a lot to rant about despite having no matches yoris i'm going to jump to you first what game are you looking forward to this weekend we need this space to rent <laughs> sometimes so thank you uh pro league for giving us some space for that um there's a few games that i highlighted there's a few obvious ones uh, f- okay for once i will go for my team because we will already have uh 
in the uh, as it turned out the a preview of the cup final uh, between Genk and Standard this Friday already Friday night game so um, I'm gonna definitely enjoy that one yeah I think that's definitely one to keep an eye on I think tactically it's going to be really interesting as well to see how the teams are up against each other and then when we get to the final like what they've changed and stuff uh, Scott what game are you looking forward to <laughs> well I was going to say Beveren against St Truden but it's highly unlikely that's going to go ahead now so I think I'm going to plump for Muscron at home to Oostend because if the Beveren St Truden game doesn't go ahead then a win for Muscron puts Beveren in a, a really dire position so it, it, you know big implications there yeah definitely I think Vazan Beveren against St Truden was going to be my game as well well, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I've gone for a game that's kind of like mid-table, kind of like obscurity. They're both next to each other in the table. I've gone for Urpen against Courtlike, just because I think it could be a really fun, enjoyable game to watch. Courtlike, yeah, they're kind of, I think, they were like, what was it, seven points away from the bottom, so I don't, we don't think they're going to get relegated. Same with Urpen, they're about eight points off the like relegation playoff point. I think they'll be fine, but I think they played like some entertaining football. I think with the new manager at Courtlike, they've been like a little bit more interesting to watch. Let's see if Gano can come off the bench and score again. I just think it could be quite an entertaining game. Again, hopefully all these will be on my Kuju's and one football, so you'll be able to watch that. Elsewhere, we have Beershot to take on Charleroi to round off the games on Saturday. Club Lugger and Antwerp play each other on Sunday at midday. Mechelen Leuven is also on Sunday and Anderlecht against Zorta Balagem. And Ghent against Circular Brugge kind of rounds off the match day. Yes, yeah, so that's all we have time for. But before we go, we just want to mention that we do have a giveaway going on on our Twitter account at the moment. If you head over there, you'll find it. We've actually partnered with Sports Club Maps. If you haven't seen them, they're doing some fantastic stuff. They're just, yeah. Sports Club Maps this is what it is kind of what it says. They've got a map of Belgium basically, and they just plotted where all the teams are. It's amazing, like in the colours of the Belgian flag as well. Beautiful, beautiful design. They've got loads of different designs as well. Definitely check them out. I know they've got France, Italy, Germany. They've done like cities as well. So Buenos Aires has got one as well. Really good. So yeah, all you need to do to enter the giveaway is just go to our Twitter, find the tweet. Uh, you have to make sure you're obviously following us. Which if you're listening to this podcast, I'd hope you already are. Uh, then you just need to retweet it as well. And yeah, closing date is this Friday at midnight. So yeah, good luck on that. And we'll be announcing the winner as soon as that closes. Don't forget to follow Sports Club's maps as well. Um, of course. That's another of, course. Uh, of the rules. Even if you don't if you don't win our map, I'd definitely recommend getting one. They're really, really cool. And yeah, they're doing a great job. They've just like out of nowhere, just it's a great idea that they've come up with. So yeah, definitely check out Sports Club maps. Yeah. So I think that's pretty much everything for this week. Scott and Joris, thank you so much for joining me once again to rant about all things Belgian football. Always a pleasure and um, thanks for your ears, everyone. Welcome as always. And also a bit depressing. We actually have a game between the first and the second this weekend and nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit of an anti-climax, but who knows? Hopefully it'll be a classic game. Yeah, as always, special thanks to Joseph McDade for our intro and outro music. And again, if any of you are interested in freelancing and football, definitely check out Freelance Football Ops, their subscription-based newsletter. Send it to you every Monday. Gives you jobs which cover writing, design, video, audio, and just anything in football media. Just check them out on Twitter. Just look for Freelance Football Ops or just visit www.freelancefootballops.com. But yeah, we'll be back once again next week, hopefully with a less ranty podcast. I'm sure there'll be plenty more on-the-pitch stuff to talk about with the amount of games we have yeah in the meantime we'd be really grateful if you would give us a little review on the podcast uh, app that you use or you can just give us your feedback straight to the the horse's mouth as they say uh, you can find us on twitter at belgian podcast you can find us all individually as well i'm at benjack94 scott's at scott underscore coin and yours is at yours underscore beck 
Alternatively, you can also email us. Our Gmail is belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And we've also been appearing on a couple of other podcasts. We appeared recently on the Scouted Football Podcast, which covered uh, Anderlecht, kind of like their young players at the moment and stuff. So if you're interested in scouting and football, definitely check that out. Thanks as always for listening. And we'll see you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. (laughs) 